All right. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you are new or visiting, just want to say welcome. Glad you could join us this morning. Uh, if there's anything that we can do to serve you or help you get connected to the community here at River City, we would love to be able to do that. And so if you're to come find me afterwards or someone else that's been up front or on the slides, we, we'd love to get to know you, help you get plugged into the community here at River City. Uh, normally uh, at River City, we kind of just pick a book of the Bible. And uh, during our time together here, normally what I do is just we pick a book of the Bible or a section of a book of the Bible. And we just work our way through it verse by verse. And, and the reason why we do that is because uh, we want God's word to be the thing that primarily shapes our time together rather than some brilliant idea that I come up with or some creative uh, sermon sketch outline thing that like shapes our time. Instead, we really want to have God's word be the thing that shapes our time together. That, that is the central thing around which we gather. Um, but this morning, as we begin a new year, what we wanted to do just for three weeks, as we start our new year, uh, instead of just diving right into a book of the Bible, instead what we want to do as we start a new year uh, is we just want to spend the first few weeks highlighting uh, the mission and vision of River City Church, what we're about and why we are about those things and how we're heading the direction that we are going. And, and so I just wanted to give you a heads up that this week and the next two weeks are a little bit abnormal as we think about things. We're going to be talking about the mission and vision for the next few weeks. Uh, and then uh, most likely uh, for the after that, we're going to be diving actually into the book of Revelation and the first three chapters of that book, taking a look at God's message to the, the seven churches there and what it looks like for us to live as God's people and his churches in the world. And, and uh, then uh, after that, this fall, we're going to be taking a look at the book of Ruth. It's an Old Testament book that just incredible gospel truths in the story of Ruth together. And so that's where we're headed the next couple of weeks and months. But I just wanted to give you a heads up about that as we dive in this morning. Uh, you hear us talking all the time at River City about the vision, about how our vision is growing in the gospel and making disciples and planting churches. John talked about that this morning. Becky gave a testimony about growing in the gospel. It's something you hear all the time. It's the thing that's at the top of our website. It's, it's, it's at the root of what is happening here. And what that means is that our vision, the, the vision of River City, it's kind of like the destination. It, it's the goal. It's where we're headed. It's the, it's the, it's the destination that we are uh, heading towards. It's the things that we want to be characterized by. It's the things that we want as a church to, to pursue together. And the other thing that you hear us a lot talking about is the mission. And we talk about how the mission is to establish and advance missional small groups in the Dubuque area. And so if the vision is where we're going, if, the, if where we're going is growing in the gospel, making disciples, and planting churches, then, then the mission, uh, establishing and advancing missional small groups, that's the how. That's the how we get there. The vision's the where we're going, and the mission is the how we get there. See, there's a lot of different ways you can get to Charlotte's Coffee from my house on the, on the west side. Uh, you could take Dodge if you wanted to hate your life, right? Uh, you, could, you, could also, uh, you could also take Asbury and then take a left on Locust and kind of scooch around the back way, which is the best way to go, right? Uh, it's not the only way, but it is the best way, right? I'm just joking. You can take your own terrible way if you want to. <laughs> Uh, likewise, there's, there's a lot of different ways you could get to growing in the gospel and making disciples and planting churches. There's a lot of different ways you could do that. Um, but the way that we feel is the most effective is, is the idea of establishing and advancing missional small groups. That, that community is the way in which the gospel goes forth in our hearts and lives and the way it bears the fruit that we are looking for. And we'll talk a lot more about this in the coming weeks. But, but suffice it to say that the, the bottom line is that small groups at River City aren't just one of the many things you can be a part of here. Instead, they're central to the way that growing in the gospel and making disciples and planting churches happens. And so being a part of a small group is central to really being a 
part of the community of this church and helping to grow yourself and helping others. And so um, we don't believe by any stretch of the imagination that we have found the one single best right way to do church or anything along those lines, but we are committed to those things. So talk about the, the vision, the mission, and lastly, uh, the last component of what we're going to call our, we call our core documents at River City, our, our, our core values and our doctrinal statement. And if the vision's where we're going and the mission is how we get there, then the core values and the doctrinal statement, those are kind of like the guardrails that keep you on the road, keep you from veering off into the ditches on the side. Um, and so we'll talk a little bit more about what some of those are and how those connect with the mission and vision in the coming weeks. Um, and, but you can find all that stuff on our website if you want to learn more about some of those kinds of things. So over the next three weeks, though, our time together, our focus is going to be taking a look at those three parts of our vision, uh, growing in the gospel, making disciples, and planting churches. And, and again, our goal as we spend just these first few weeks doing that together is one, to help you to understand what each part of the vision really means and what it looks like, and, and to help you understand uh, why we want to pursue those things as a church and what it looks like to, for us to pursue those things. But two, we also want to show you where those convictions come from in God's word. Uh, what I don't ever want to have happen is uh, I just say, you trust me. And uh, just, just don't ask questions, just follow along. Instead, what we always want to do is make sure that the, the what we're doing is rooted in God's word. And so we want to show you where, where the what comes from and, and how those things are found in God's word. But lastly, what we want to do is we want to invite you to be a part of those things. We want to invite you into living out the mission and the vision of the church with us this coming year as we head into a new year together. And so we really long to reach our city for the good news of the gospel. And, and the reality is, is that we want to do that with you and we want to be a community that does that together. And so as we, as we take a look at the mission and vision of the church these next couple of weeks, uh, that's our heart. We want you to see what, where we're going and what we're doing, and we want to see, help you to see why we are heading those things as it connects with God's Word, and we want to invite you to be a part of that stuff with us as we head that direction, as we pursue the reaching of our city for the sake of the gospel. And so, anyway, so with that in mind, let's pray, and we'll dive into our time in God's Word this morning. God, uh, we are grateful for you. We are thankful for our time with you. We are thankful for one another. Uh, we're thankful for your word. And so God, as we study this morning uh, in Ephesians 4 and talk about the centrality of the gospel in our lives, God, we ask that you would just graciously give us hearts that can hear and respond to your word rightly. God, I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit so that what I have to say isn't just words out of some human's mouth, but is something that has power because it comes from you. And so, God, we pray, we, we really need you, uh, God, to create and to shape within us a community that is rooted and centered on the gospel. God, there's nothing else that is a firm foundation on which we must center our lives. And so we ask, King Jesus, that you would help us to center ourselves on you and on the gospel this morning. God, we pray that that would result in our, our good and your glory as we reach our city and as we grow in, in unity and we grow by the power of the gospel. And so we just say, humbly this morning we come before you and we just say, we really need you, King Jesus. And so God, for our good, for your glory, would you, would you meet us in our need for you? Help us to see the goodness of the gospel this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, before we dive into our, uh, our passage this morning, just a few quick things as we head into Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Um, so the Apostle Paul writes the letter of Ephesians, and, and for the first three chapters of this book, uh, what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's reminding the, the people in the church in Ephesus about who Jesus is and about all he has done. He's reminding them about the identity that they have because of Jesus and all that he has done. And now in chapter 4, what's happening is Paul is calling them to live in light of this new identity that they have because of Jesus. 
He's calling them to be who they already are, who he's reminded them that they are. And so that's where, that's where we head into as we dive into chapter 4 here. So we're in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11 this morning. Paul writes this, he says, So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking for their darkened and their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so that uh, to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. And that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus See, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It's the word of the Lord. See, Paul is uh, beginning a chapter th in chapter 4. He spent the first three chapters reminding the Ephesians about the transforming power of the gospel and who it makes them to be, the new identity it gives them. And, the and now what he's doing in chapter 4 is he's in giving instruction about what the implications of what that means and what it looks like to live in this new identity that God gives us. And the first thing that we see Paul uh, in the passage teaching us is that God gives leaders to the church in verse 11 to equip everyone for works of ministry. Uh, this is important in 12. It says, so that everyone, the body of Christ, may be built up and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, what Paul's saying is that God gives leaders to the church, uh, not for the purpose of doing ministry for everyone else, but instead God gives leaders to the church for the purpose of helping everyone to grow up in Christ. You see, everyone is supposed to grow up spiritually. Everyone is supposed to grow up spiritually. See, it is okay to be young and immature in your faith. It is okay to do that. But it's not okay to stay young and immature in your faith. You see, if my kids, my, my daughter is five, my son is three, it's totally okay that they live with me right now, right? Totally okay. They're 35 and 33. That ain't okay, right? There are going to be much bigger problems. We're going to be having some intervention conversations right along those lines, right? You see, it's okay for them to be young and immature now. But it's not okay for them to stay that way. You see, God's heart isn't that we would just kind of cross the line into relationship with him and just kind of coast for the rest of our lives. No, instead, God's heart is that all of us, everyone who is a follower of Jesus, would grow up in maturity spiritually. You see, 
every Christian is supposed to be growing in spiritual maturity. And the spiritual maturity that, what spiritual maturity looks like, Paul defines it for us in the passage. He says, spiritual maturity is defined by increasingly looking more and more like Jesus. We grow up into maturity, into Christ, right? So that we might reflect him and look like him, the passage talks about. See, spiritual maturity uh, is not just about knowing more about the Bible. See, James tells us not to just deceive ourselves by being hearers of the word and not simply doers. But additionally, growing up in spiritual maturity isn't just about doing what is right. It's not about just our outward behavior or our appearance. See, the Bible's clear that our behavior is something that flows out of our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 tells us that above all else, we're to guard our hearts because everything we do flows from it. See, so growing up in Christ is not just about knowing more. It's not just about doing more. It's about having the mind of Christ, having his heart and having his motivations and and having his desires and his attitudes and, and his perspective. Verse 22, Paul writes to put off the old self and put on the new. He says, put on the new by being made new in the attitude of your minds. He's saying you need a new heart and a new mind and a new perspective, not just new behaviors, not just more knowledge. You need a new heart that sends you in a new direction. The problem is, is that that's not something that human effort in and of its own can produce on its own. And so Paul says that the goal is for everyone to grow up spiritually and that the role of leaders is to help everyone to grow up spiritually, to help everyone grow as as they continue to look more and more like Jesus. And the question then is how? right? Question, obvious question then is how? So, so if the goal is spiritual growth and looking more like Jesus, and that's the role of leaders to help us do that, how, how do we do that? How do we actually grow up into Christian maturity? How do we look more like Jesus? How, how, and how do leaders help us to do that? Well, tragically, I think Christians oftentimes think about this in totally wrong ways. You see, sometimes we think that more knowledge is the way that we look more like Jesus, if we'll just learn some more doctrine, if we can kind of just like read our Bibles a little bit more, if we can kind of have a better grasp on theology or move on to more deep theological topics, then, then that's really what spiritual maturity looks like. And the problem with that thinking is that the Pharisees were the most spiritually, scripturally knowledgeable people in the history of, like they literally had the entire Old Testament memorized, right? You're not close, okay? And Jesus talks about them as blind hypocrites, That's the way he describes the Pharisees. Just a heads up, that's not a good description, right? Like that's that's not a he's not that's not a side way of encouraging them, right? They had all the knowledge in the world, and they still Jesus calls them blind hypocrites. That's not knowledge isn't the thing. You see, but also sometimes we think that the way that we'll grow up is is just by. It's not by knowing more, then maybe it's just by, it's by doing more, right? If we can just start doing X, Y, or Z, then that'll help us to become more like Jesus. Maybe we'll, we need to just pray more. We just need to read our Bible more. Or we need to just go to church more, serve more, or give more. If we just start doing the practices, then that's the thing that will grow us up into Christ-likeness. And, and don't get me wrong. Those things are good. It's good to spend time reading your Bible. It's good to come to church. It's good to give generously. It's good to be a part of community and to serve. All those things are important and good. You see, but none of those things in and of themselves are going to grow you up into Christ-likeness. You see, the only thing that can grow you up into Christ is Jesus himself. 
The only thing that can grow you up into Christ is Jesus himself. You see, the practices, they can't do it in and of themselves. Verse 16 tells us that from him, the whole body grows and builds itself up in love. See, the practices, spiritual disciplines, all that stuff, it is good. But those things aren't the thing that grows us up. Instead, Jesus is. You see, if he's not at the center of those things, if he's not at the one that motivates our hearts towards those things, if, he, if the goal of our life isn't to, isn't to be with him, to treasure him and enjoy him and find him and love him and see him in all things, then all of the Bible reading in the world is not going to help us grow up into likeness into him. So if it's not spiritual disciplines and it's not practices, if it's not knowledge that grows us up into Christ, then, then what is it? Well, Paul tells us how the spiritual, uh, he tells us the how of spiritual maturity in verse 15. He writes this, he says, by speaking the truth in love, we'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. He says, by speaking the truth in love, right? So what, what does that mean? What does that mean to speak the truth in love? A lot of times, unfortunately, people think that it just means like, say hard things, but do it kindly. It's like, Dustin, I love you. You got terrible B.O., right? It's just like you're going to have to deal with it, right? I care for you, right? If you're in the South, you can say anything about any human as long as you say, God love them, right, in the end, right? Wow, that person is a terrible, terrible human. God love them, right? It's fine, right? You can just say it's fine, right? That's not what, that's not what Paul's talking about, right? He's not talking about just saying hard things in loving ways. That's not what he's talking about. Instead, verse 20 and 21, he, he explains what he means, right? He says, but that's not the way of life you learned. He says, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You see, to speak the truth in love means to speak the truths about Jesus in loving ways into the lives of one another. You see, the way that we grow up in Christ is by faith in him. And so we need to learn how to speak the truth about who he is and all that he has done into one another's lives ongoingly. You see, the way that we grow up spiritually is by learning to increasingly believe and apply the truths of, our gospel, of, truths of the gospel in our lives. You see, 100% of someone's spiritual growth comes by, ultimately happens by repenting and believing the truths of the gospel. You see, some people have believed, unfortunately, that the gospel is just kind of like the front door into faith with Jesus. That's like, all right, well, I need to believe what is true about Jesus and what he's done. And like, that's just kind of like the first building block. And you just kind of move on past that, right? Like it's the, it's the beginning point. It's important. But it's, once you kind of got it figured out, then you just move on. The rest of spiritual maturity is kind of like tips and tricks and spiritual disciplines and just kind of getting things right. You see, but what Paul is teaching us this morning in Ephesians 4, what he says is that the gospel is not the first step. It's the center of the wheel. It is the center by which all things in our lives must connect. It's like the hub of a wheel in which every spoke of our life on the, on the, on the ring connects with this thing that is at the center, which is the gospel. You see, and, and Paul is telling us here that the way that we grow into spiritual maturity is by learning to apply the truths of the gospel, learning to connect those things with every part of our lives, and learning to believe and live in light of those truths. See, the gospel isn't meant just to be a thing that we believe, but it's meant to affect what we do as well. You see, it's not just a theological idea. You see, the reality is, is that whatever you believe changes what you do, right? We're getting into winter here, right? The example that we give all the time, right? So if, 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 you, if I have a snowball in my hand and you believe I'm going to throw it at you, you'll duck, right? 
But if you don't believe I'm going to throw it at you, you won't move, right? Because the reality is, is that what you believe changes what you do. It's always the thing, right? You think you're going to get a ticket, right, without paying your meter, right, parking on the street in Dubuque? Well, one, you're, t- you're just going to get a ticket. This is how it always works, right? They are relentless around here, right? <laughs> Remember when we moved to town, I, I kind of thought like, I, we lived in Platteville, it was a lot more lax than Platteville. Let's just say you could, not, you could not pay your meter and you'd be fine, right? In Dubuque, you are like six seconds over your meter time, you will be getting a ticket, right? You see, and because I know that that is true, because I believe that that is true, I always pay my, part of my parking meters, right? Because what, all what you believe, it always changes what you do. You see, and it sounds simple enough, right, that, that the truths of the gospel are the thing that changes us. And if we gr- increasingly grow in our belief in the truths of the gospel, then that's how we grow up. And, and so the question is, why, why isn't everybody grown up yet? Why aren't we all just marked by this? Why aren't we all just beacons of incredible spiritual maturity? Why is there still so much growth that needs to happen in me still? Why, why, is it, why does it feel like it's hard to increasingly look like Jesus? See, and the reality is, is that speaking the truths of the gospel is not just like some magic wand that you wave around and just like, Jesus, huh, right? And then everything changes, right? See, the reality is that speaking the truth of the gospel in people's lives is a battle. In fact, it feels more like a war sometimes. You see, in many cases, it feels like trench warfare, right? Because you're not fighting something on the surface. You're, spite, you're fighting spiritual battles in your heart and in your head. We're fighting spiritual battles, and those are much more difficult. You see, The weapon that's most effective against the heart is lies. You see, the passage is full of that, full of this conflict between truth and lies. Paul writes about how people are futile in their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. They're blown about by cunning and craftiness and deceitful scheming. They're corrupted by deceitful desires. See, we believe lies all the time. We believe lies about who God is, about who we are, and about, about what will truly satisfy and what will really give life. You see, and lies are hard to combat. It's not just a behavior thing we're combating. It's, it's what's at the heart. You see, and like I said, what we believe always changes what we do, which is why at the root of growing up in Christ is not about changing our outward actions or appearances, but it's about changing the heart. You see, everything flows from our hearts. Like I said before, Proverbs 4.23 reminds us to guard our hearts above all else because everything we do flows from it. You see, treating symptoms is easy, but treating the disease is really hard. You see, knowledge is easy, but belief is hard. See, that's why one of our core values at River City is the heart, right? We believe that ministry should focus on the heart, which is the foundational place from which all meaningful and lasting transformation stems from. See, and the way that you change the heart is by increasingly, ongoingly speaking the truths of the gospel into, the, into our lives over and over and over again. See, that's why the gospel is so central here at River City. That's why the very first part of our vision is that we'd be growing in the gospel, that we would be growing in our understanding and belief in the gospel as it connects to every part of our lives. And that's why the very first core value on our core values list is that we'd be a church that is gospel-centered. See, the good news about Jesus is central to everything in the Christian life. A person in the work of Jesus is central to everything. You see, the good news of the gospel isn't just that Jesus died for our sins so that we could have right relationship with him. 
It is so much more than that. It's also that Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live, and he died on our behalf. And when he did, he credited to us his perfectly lived life so that before the Father, we might be seen as loved and approved of by him, given, given his credit. It's also that not just that Jesus lived for us, that he died for us, but that he, that he rose defeating Satan and sin and death so that you and I might have hope and victory over those things, and we might ultimately be freed from those things completely in the end. But the gospel is also as well that that Jesus is not just risen, but that he's ascended, and that right now he sits at the right hand of the Father. Scripture talks about him as our advocate, as our representative, as our mediator. And so when Satan comes against us with lies and accusations and, and our failings, Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father, combating those on our behalf, just speaking on our behalf, saying, no, that they are covered and paid for and mine and clean. See, the good news of the gospel is also that the king is coming back. One day he will ultimately come, finishing the war and ushering in his perfect everlasting kingdom of, if, of which his people will joyfully and fully partake, free from sin, free from the curse, free from Satan and death and worry and fear and all those kinds of things. You see, the gospel is so much more. You see, and it must connect to every part of our lives. That's why at River City we believe that the gospel should be central to everything, not just that we believe, but that we do. That's why whether it's our preaching or our teaching or our discipleship or our philosophy of ministry or our strategy of mission or our understanding of scripture or the formation of our worldview, you see, it's all about Jesus. That's why the slide is up there all the time. That's why the giant painting is there in the front wall. You see, it's all about him. You see, his person, his work, he is the one that changes everything. He is the one that renews. He is the one that restores. He is the one that transforms. It's just him. See, only one thing can be of first importance, as Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians, and only one thing should be, and that's the good news about Jesus and the gospel. See, at the root of growing in the gospel is increasingly understanding and living in light of the gospel being at the center of every part of our faith and lives. Like I said, it's like the hub of the wheel that connects with everything else. See, the gospel is central to our salvation, our right standing with God, it's also central to our sanctification, our growing up into maturity in Christ. But it's also central to our glorification and our internal enjoyment of Jesus. See, it's at the root of everything. And because the gospel is central to everything in the Christian life, because 100% of our spiritual growth is ultimately rooted in repenting and believing the truths about Jesus and all that he has done, we need to learn to speak the language of the gospel. We need to learn to speak, talk about Jesus and the gospel in ways that connect with our lives. I think really helpfully in, in his book, uh, Gospel Fluency, Jeff Vanderstelt writes this. He says, God wants his people to be able to translate the world around them and the world inside of them through the lens of the gospel. Gospel fluent people think and feel and perceive everything in light of what has been accomplished in the person and the work of Jesus. And when they're listening to people, they're thinking, how is this, li how is this line of truth? Uh, thinking in truth 
with the gospel? What about Jesus and his work might be good news to this person today? How, how can I bring the hope of the gospel to bear on this life or situation so that this person might experience salvation and Jesus will be glorified? When they see movies, they see them the themes of the gospel and they notice which themes represent false truths and false gospels. They begin to evaluate the storylines of their surrounding culture in light of the story of God's redemptive purposes in Jesus. And they learn to perceive where God might already be at work around them, preparing the soil of a community or of individuals' hearts for the seeds of the gospel to be sown in it. You see, it's like putting on the glasses with the lens of the gospel. God wants us to look at the world around us and to see how does the truth about Jesus and his work, how does it affect everything? How does it connect with everything? You see, too often I think what happens is is that we think evangelism is the work that you do in order to help someone become a Christian and that discipleship is something you kind of just do after that. And that the two are unrelated. But, but to be a church that is growing in the gospel, we've got to see that the way that we grow up spiritually is by proclaiming the truths of the gospel to one another all the time. That's the very definition of what evangelism is, right? You see, you see, evangelism is the proclamation of the good news of the gospel and we all need the gospel proclaimed into our hearts and lives every day all the time. And so I hope the thing that you see happening here at River City is that we want to learn how to communicate the truths of the gospel into our hearts all the time. You see, the gospel isn't just for people who don't know Jesus yet. It's for all of us every day, all the time. It's for me every day, all the time. Hopefully one of the things you see happening in me as I teach and preach every week is that the gospel is becoming good news to me more and more every week, that the truth about who Jesus is and all that he's done, it's changing me, it's shaping me, it's becoming more and more beautiful to me. Hopefully that's one of the things that you see so that that might become true in you as well. See, and the great news is, is that if we believe that the gospel is what we need to grow up, then we'll be doing discipleship and evangelism training at the same time. Because what you need is the good news of the gospel applied to every area of your life and what your family needs and what your friend needs and what your coworkers need is the truths of the gospel applied to their lives in all ways. You see, we need the light of the gospel to shine into our hearts and our lives. And when it does, it two things happen. Paul writes about it in the passage. He talks about how it reveals the lies that we're believing. Verse 22 talks about our deceitful desires. Verse 19 talks about how we give ourselves over to sensuality and impurity and greed because we think those things will, will satisfy. We think they'll give life. We think they'll give joy, but they never can and they never do. You see, you only know something is a lie when you have the light shined onto it. See, in the primary work of the gospel, one of the main things the gospel does is it shines light onto the lies that we believe one of my favorite memes are the ones where people take a picture of the product picture that they, of the thing they bought on Amazon and then the thing that arrived in their door. And those things are like wildly different things, right? It's like, this is what they said was coming. This is what came. And it's mostly a blob of whatever it was. And it's not even close to whatever it is, right? You see... You see, it's only when you see the thing in person, it's only when the light gets shined on it for it, and you can see it for what it really is, that you see what it really truly is. And, and the gospel does that for us. The gospel shines light on the lies that we believe and reveals them to be lies that they are. But more than that, the gospel also shows us the incredible goodness and the glory of Jesus so that we'll run to him instead of those things. You see, the way to avoid sin is, is, not just to be, uh, is not just to avoid sinful behaviors, but instead is to be consumed by a pursuit of Jesus. 
See, when we proclaim the gospel over and over into our heart, it reveals the worthlessness of the lies that we believe about sin, but it also reveals the endless joys of Jesus. It reveals him as the good thing that we are longing for, the source of life and hope and joy that we are seeking. We see him for all he truly is, and so we long to run after him. That's what Thomas Chalmers refers to as the expulsive power of a new affection. See, the problem is, is that all too often when giving people answers to their questions or solutions or their problems, we give them something other than Jesus. See, if they're struggling with their finances, it's easy for us to say, what you need is a better budget, right? And I'm not opposed to budgets, right? We're working on a finances and budgeting seminar, right? I'm on the team of budgets, right? But a budget can't fix what's going on in your heart. We think if people are having problems in their relationships, and what we give them is oftentimes we just say, like, well, we, well, what you really need is just communication tools. What you really need is, is personality tests, and that'll help you to understand the person, and it'll help you to learn how to communicate. And I'm not against communication tactics, and I'm not against personality tests. I think those things are incredibly helpful, but they can't change the heart. You see, we think if people are struggling with doubt, oftentimes what we give them instead of Jesus is just, just say, just believe. Just, just, just believe more, right? Promising that it'll all just kind of work out if you'll just kind of just be able to believe. But what happens so often is that we fail to give one another Jesus. You see, he's the one that grows us up. He's the one that shapes us. See, when we lead people away from dependence and faith in him into dependence and faith in something else, we're not helping people, we're crippling them. And so the question is, what does it look like to give people Jesus? What does it look like to apply the truths of the gospel and the person and the work of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension and sending of his spirit and his, his return and into people's lives? And, and just a few stories I want to share this morning that hopefully help to, to outline what that looks like a little bit. But keep in mind this morning that whatever stories I share, they're, they're not a formula. They're not some kind of a curriculum. If you just input A, you get B. That's not how people work. That's not how lives work. That's not how anything really works besides math. And people aren't math. It's just science, trust me, okay? (laughs) You see, but instead, speaking the truths of the gospel is something we endeavor to join Jesus in every day. It's something we walk with him in the midst of every day and something that we cannot do without his spirit empowering us to do it. So I just want to share a few stories, just to give a few examples. So thankful this morning for Becky as she shared just a little bit about how the gospel is becoming good news to her, reminding her about uh, her, her, her default mode towards self-sufficiency, but rather the need to be, uh, the need to instead depend on Jesus and how there's life in dependence on him. Uh, earlier this year, um, I've had the pleasure of meeting up with a guy in our church named Dawson for, for a few years, for the past few years, and it's been really encouraging to see the ways that he's been growing over that time. Now, earlier this year, he shared on a Sunday morning, in fact, about, about how one of the things that he's always wrestled with is, is the need to be seen as competent by others, the need to have others see him as somebody who kind of has his ducks in a row, who has kind of everything put together, one who doesn't need someone else, one who is self-sufficient and... And um, he, was ta- he talked in his testimony earlier this year about how what that resulted in is he could, just, he could never let anyone close into his life because they would see his faults and they'd see his failings. And he could never ask for help from anyone and without the things that he was wrestling with because what it would, it, it, by default, it meant admitting his problems and admitting his failings, admitting his faults. 
You see, and it would be really easy for uh, me to just tell Dawson, Dawson, buddy, just chill out, man. Nobody has it all together, right? No, nobody is perfect. No, nobody has all their ducks in a row. Nobody, nobody's competent in everything, right? That would have been really easy for that to be the solution. Just, just don't worry about it, man. You see, but the problem is, is that doesn't fix anything. All that does is teach somebody that they shouldn't talk about it and they should just kind of like figure it out themselves internally. You see, instead, the gospel is the only thing that can fix what's going on in Dawson's heart. And he talked about how over the course of the last few years, what he's been realizing and living in light of is how Jesus was perfect on his behalf, how Jesus was totally competent in everything for him on his behalf. And in all the ways that, that he fails, in the, all the ways that he isn't what he should be or what he wants to be, Jesus was perfectly competent, had all of his things together on his behalf, but more more than that, Jesus took the punishment for all of Dawson's failings. He, he, the weight is off of him because Jesus took it. And so now he's free to acknowledge his sin and to acknowledge his failings and all the places he needs help and the places where he needs others to come alongside him because he knows that he is loved and accepted and secure with the only one whose opinion really matters. See, and that's been changing Dawson's life. It's been shaping his attitude. It's been affecting the way he relates to his family and his friends and his coworkers. And it's been really meaningfully shaping him. See, in a, in a way that just saying, Dawson, buddy, don't worry about it. Nobody's perfect. In a way that that could never do. You see, it's, it's shaping him. But more than just him, what's happening is that the gospel is shaping the way that Dawson is starting to think about the, his own relationships with people and his own relations to others. I remember meeting up with him one weekend. We were talking about how the gospel is becoming good news to us and shaping our hearts. And I just asked the question as we were talking about a friend of his that, well, how do you think the gospel might be good news to your friend? And he was talking about a friend who who his life was kind of ruled by the need to have plans. He has this uh, written out long-term kind of life plan in which he's like, by this date and this time and this thing, I'm going to be at these different stages. And he has all of these details in order to get to this certain spot in his life. And you see, the reality is, is that for him, his life is ruled by needing to be in control of his situations. See, he must have control of all of the variables. That's the way his friend's going to find peace. That's the way his friend's going to find security. That's the way that his friend is going to be able to avoid worry and avoid fear. You see, but the reality is, as, as uh, Ecclesiastes uh, Solomon writes and talks about, is that the more we have, the more plans we have, all it leads to is the more things we fear to lose. You see, what, what Dawson's friend needs when we talked about that afternoon is that he needs to remember that Jesus is not just the one who is in control of all things, but that he's good as well. And he proved that by dying for us. And he proved it by rising again. And so there is nothing that Jesus does not have authority over. And there is nothing he is unwilling to do for the good of those that he loves. And so you can make plans and you can be a wise steward, but you do not need to be ruled by the need to have all of the variables in your life under your control. You see, because Jesus is the one in whom you can trust. You see, to say to his friend, you don't need to worry about it, man. It's going to be okay. Life works out. That doesn't address the stuff going on in the heart. You see, but the good news of the gospel roots out our need to be in control because it supplants it with the truth that the one who is good above all and the one who is in control of all things 
is working them out for our good. And so we can trust him and hope in him. See, but the truths about the gospel, I've shared often with you about how they're changing my own heart. I've shared often with you guys about how uh, the, the source of all the power is something I wrestle with. I, I do, like one of the things I'm tempted to believe when I'm not believing the gospel is that uh, my influence and my opinions are the thing that matter most and the thing that if people would just receive would make everything work out best, right? That if I could just be the one, if my influence was just exerted, then everything would work out the best. And that's just obviously like you say that out loud and you're like, well, that sounds kind of crazy, right? Well, it does. It is. Because it is, right? But I think that. I'm tempted to believe that. And some of you are as well. And, and I don't know if source idols are genetic, but man, my kids, they totally have some of mine too. Hannah and I enjoy talking about sometimes, I don't know if joy is the right word, but Anyways, we talk about sometimes how we see our own source idols getting worked out in our kids. You know, for me, like I talked about, right, I wrestle with the, the need for power and influence and feeling like that will satisfy and that will really give life. And, and I see that all the time in my daughter, Emma. I remember uh, one time this last summer, remember we were at the park, and for her, uh, one of the things that she really, like one of the things that just drives her insane is when uh, games are not played by the rules that she sets out, right? And so we're at the park some evening this last summer, and, and there's this kind of loop around the park, and her and Caleb are running around this loop, right? And so there's some certain specific way in which that game is apparently needing to get played, and, and Caleb, as he always does, decides to make up his own rules and do a game the different way, and he just like adds them or doesn't pay attention to whatever, whatever rules that Emma has set forward. And, and there was a point in the afternoon where she was like increasingly getting frustrated, and finally she just melts down. Like, like tears, but the angry kind of tears, right? Have you ever seen a kid have angry tears, right? They're just like the tears that I am so frustrated. I am, I am like outside of my mind. I'm so frustrated by what is happening. And my will is, I cannot exert my will on this situation. And I cannot have this go the way I want it to go. And she's just melting down. And, and, uh, and so I, I call her over to me, right? And she's just sobbing and just furiously sobbing, right? And, and I ask her, and I just say, Emma, why are you so upset? What, what is so, what is, what, why are you so upset? And she's just like in the midst of her tears, you know, Caleb won't, Caleb's not running around the circle in the way that I want him to, or whatever the rule was that he wasn't following. And, and I said, I, I know that that's why you're making him upset. Why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? I know it's okay to be frustrated, but why are you so angry? And she doesn't know, right? Because she's four at the time or five, right? She doesn't totally know, but I know. See, what I know is that she feels the need to have power, the need to have things for things and situations to happen in her way, in her time, on her terms. That's the thing that will really satisfy. That's the thing that will really give life, and it's a lie. And I didn't say that to her because that's not where she's at, and that's not really what's going to help her in that moment. But I just asked her, I said, Emma, do you think that you always know what is best and right? you think you always know what is best and right, the way things should be done? And she just, in her tears, she said, no. And I asked her, who, who does? Who always knows what is best and right? And I'm just like, I don't know where this is going to go, right? But she's, she's like, God does. And I was like, wow, that was, that was amazing, right? All right, well, we're just going to take the next step. I see where we're going right here. And I asked, I just asked her next, and I just felt like this is like this, I feel like the Spirit just gave this to me in the moment. He says, I just asked her, I said, and do we always listen to God and what he wants us to do, even though we know he knows what is right and good? 
Do we always listen to him and do what he says? And she says, no. And I asked her, how does God treat us when we don't listen to him? How does God treat us when we don't listen to him? And again, I was just like, I have no idea how she's going to respond to this. In the midst of her tears, she just, she says, he loves us and he's patient with us. I said, yes, Emma, he loves you. He is patient with you. When you reject his authority, when you reject his power, he is gracious towards you. He is long-suffering with you. He's patient with you. You see, and because Jesus has treated you that way, that's the thing that can help you treat your brother differently. You see, in the midst of that moment, she still needed a timeout, right? There wasn't like some spiritual like awakening that happened in her in that very moment. But it was one of many conversations that I've had with her and one of many I will keep having with her for many years to come. You see, as a parent, so often what happens is we want to change the behavior of our kids. But really what we need to learn how to do is to lead them towards Jesus, the one who is able to shape their hearts See, that's my heart for you as I lead you, as I, as I seek to live as a spiritual shepherd in your lives. See, what I want to do is I want to lead you towards Jesus. I want to lead you towards him so that you might see him as the one who gives life, him as the one who is good, him as the one who can shape and mold and change your internal being so that your external behavior might change as well. You see, he's the one that changes you. You see, in... What I hope that you saw in all of those stories is that none of those transformations happen overnight. None of those things are kind of these blink in a moment, everything's different kind of things. It's not just oftentimes, it's rarely that there's just this one conversation. Instead, the things that we talk about oftentimes here is that if we're going to grow in the gospel together, kind of three things need to be a part of that. We talk about how uh, that spiritual growth, growing in the gospel requires, one, the gospel, but it also requires uh, safety and time. You see, the gospel is what's changing those stories as I shared with you. It's not tips or tricks. It's not some just spiritual wisdom. Instead, it's the gospel taking root uh, in an environment. And in, the, in order for the gospel to take root in someone's heart, there needs to be an environment where safety is happening. You see, safety is the, about the kind of culture and environment that we create in our relationships. It's, safety is about having a culture of non-accusation and where no one's pressured or cornered into spiritually growing. Or we pursue maturity not out of fear or not out of shame or not out of guilt, but instead of being drawn into life with Jesus. See, as Emma came to me, that she came running across the park to me that afternoon. I didn't shame her. I didn't just say, Emma, what, don't you see you ignore me all the time? Do you, do you, don't you, th oh, how do you think I feel about that, right? Right? I didn't shame her. Like, how could you keep doing this? How do you keep having this problem? You see, that's not the thing that's going to shape her heart. That's not the thing that's going to change her. That's not the thing that's going to help her see Jesus as beautiful. Instead of what I wanted to do, what I tried to do in that moment is point her towards Jesus, the one whose power is good and enough, the one whose grace, grace and patience overshadows our hearts and gives us life. You see, what I want to do is create a culture in my family with my kids where they can admit what's wrong, where they can admit the messed up desires in their hearts to me because I do that for them and I, and I model that for them. 
You see, creating a culture of safety in our relationships not only helps people to relax and open up, but it also helps us to point one another towards Jesus, the reality that he is the safe one, that he is a, a refuge in which we find safe harbor, in which we ultimately find in him. You see, but gospel-centered growth, it doesn't just take, doesn't just take the gospel and safety, it takes time. You see, I, I rarely meet people who grow spiritually quickly, or linearly for that matter. Oftentimes our spiritual growth looks like the stock chart, right? There's like ups and downs and it's kind of heading in one direction in the right way, but, but it's never linear and it's never, it's not always the same and it's hard, to, it's hard to expect what it will be like. You see, think about the ways that you've grown spiritually. It's probably taken a long time. It's probably been a journey in which it wasn't just some linear straight path. And seeing the principles of gospel and safety and time, they're best lived out in the context of a community in the context of small groups. You see, I do my best each Sunday to point you towards Jesus and to show him to you. But an hour a week is not enough. You see, what we need is to be a part of a community that will help point us towards Jesus and in which God might use us to help us point one another to him. You see, growing the gospel is not a curriculum thing. It's a culture thing. It's a long-haul approach. It's not a quick fix. But it is the way that transformation works in God's kingdom. See, as we remember and believe the gospel, it changes us into a people that God is making us to be, a people who look more and more like Jesus for our good and our joy and also for God's great glory. You see, in reminding ourselves about the gospel, reminding ourselves about the person and the work of Jesus and who we are because of him, that's the reason why we take communion every week. See, reminding ourselves with the, with, uh, that Jesus' body and blood were broken and shed for us as we take the bread and the juice, and we're reminding ourselves of that, and we're remembering that he didn't stay dead, but that he rose defeating Satan and sin and death so that you and I might find hope and life and fullness in him. See, communion, it doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't change your status or your standing with him. See, the one thing that can do that is faith in Jesus. Instead, communion is a chance for us to remember to set our hearts on what is true, on who Jesus is and all that he has done so that in remembering him, our lives might overflow in response to him, full of joy and gratitude and lives longing to obey him. The bread and the juice, they're in the back. There's a table on your left and on your right. And during our time of musical worship, I'd encourage you, go back and take communion. Simply, uh, whenever you feel led, go back and dip the bread in the juice. Do it as a way to remember, as a way to celebrate Jesus' body and blood broken and shed for you so that you might have life in him. And as we sing and as we worship together in song, if you put your trust in Jesus, then whenever you're ready, go back and do that. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to belong to Jesus. But if not, if you're here this morning and you're trying to figure out still what the gospel really means and if you really believe it and if Jesus is the one in whom your faith rests, I want, you to, I want to encourage you this morning. You are welcome here. This place is for you and this people is for you. You are welcome here. But I want to encourage you, come to Jesus first before you come to the communion table. See, he is what you need. Communion is about remembering him. See, find him. And then come to communion when you're ready. As we take communion, as we sing, as we talk with God, I just encourage all of us this morning, ask God to show you how the gospel is good news to you each and every day. Ask him to speak it into your heart. 
When you, open your, when you open his word to spend time with him on your own, ask him to show you how the truths of the gospel are present in his word in every passage you read. Ask him to show you the lies that you are tempted to believe and the better truths of the gospel so that will help you to fight those lies. Ask him to show you how he wants to use you to speak the truths of the gospel into the lives of others and ask him to empower you by his spirit to be able to do it so you can't do it on your own. And ask him as well, to create a culture within our church that we would be a church that is rooted and centered in the gospel, growing up in love, becoming mature, looking more and more like Jesus by the power of the gospel each and every day. To that end, let's pray. King Jesus, we come before you. We are full of love for you. Thanks that you are full of love for us. God, help us to live in light of your truth. Help us to believe it and let our lives be shaped by it. King Jesus, we need you each and every day. Thanks that you are good to us. Thanks that you are patient. Thanks that the gospel is the one thing that transforms who we are. God, for our good, for your great glory, would you help us to root ourselves in the truth of who you are. No might it change us in all ways, in all times. For our good, for your great glory, we pray. Amen.